technology shapes and influences every aspect of our lives today. And we're only beginning to scratch the surface of understanding how it will radically change the way we live and work in the future. Coming up... This crisis has increased the need to accelerate the technologies at the heart of the fourth industrial revolution, as we already talked about. Automation, AI, IoT, driverless food trucks, drone deliveries, AI machine learning to process medical test results, uh, help scientists searching for a vaccine. I mean, companies working together, competitors working together to search for a vaccine. Well, all of these have taken on a new urgency. So the real question is, how do we prevent a once-in-a-century global pandemic? from leading to a once-in-a-century global recession. You're listening to The Future Rhythmic Podcast with Michael Hainsworth, a Nokia original series. last decade, the telecom industry has been trying to shed its reputation for being an old-fashioned business, just a dumb pipe compared to those buzzed-about tech companies. But as a local epidemic turned into a global pandemic, suddenly our communications networks were in the spotlight. I asked Nokia President and CEO Raju Suri to look back to the end of 2019 through to now to give us a sense of what was happening behind the scenes as the networks were stress-tested like never before. Yes, great question. First of all, if this pandemic had happened even 10 years ago, you know, can you imagine the impact? The global economy would probably have come to a total shutdown. And, and now, indeed, it's been severe, but you know, millions of businesses uh, have at least been able to keep some of their operations going. You know, look at our own company, the majority of staff is working remotely, and same goes for many companies. And, you know, it's only because of connectivity, both fixed and mobile networks and, and more and more uh, smart workplaces. So you know, this crisis has made it crystal clear that connectivity keeps society functioning uh, because it's, you know, whether it's hospitals or logistics hubs or uh, even factories, uh, you know, governments, public networks, they've all relied on uh, these networks to remain operational. And it's not just big businesses. You know, we're talking about small traders, uh, the self-employed, students, teachers, friends and family. All of us are relying on networks more than ever before. And so if you look at the numbers, you know, we've seen up to a year's worth of growth in network demand in just a few weeks, right? And the demand has not just increased, but it's also shifted from workplaces uh, to homes because traditionally the busiest hours uh, used to be in the evening, but that's now moved to the middle of the day because everyone is either video conferencing or streaming or gaming or just plain using uh, the network for for email and other routine tasks. Uh, and then we've seen, you know, in some telecommunications and uh, video conferencing applications, we've seen growth of 700 to 800% in just a matter of days, you know, after the pandemic broke out. And the other thing that we expect will accelerate demand is that businesses as a result of this and partially even before this uh, have sp started to speed up their digitalization plans. The latest research shows that three quarters of manufacturers are planning to upgrade their networks uh, within the next two years. That means that, you know, digital transformation, whether it's factories of the future, logistics hubs, uh, you know, energy companies, whatever it takes in this, you know, industry 4.0 are going to be crucial to driving 
a global economic recovery. Uh, on our part, you know, we feel a sense of duty to support our customers and the communities they serve uh, along with our customers to keep the world online at this critical time for everyone. What was fascinating to me was that while we haven't landed in the 5G world yet, the infrastructure over the course of the last few years has started to be built out. And if, to your point about had this happened 10 years ago, if the network infrastructure as we even know it already had not been in place, I can't imagine we would have had the flexibility to deal with this from an infrastructure perspective. Yeah, very difficult to, to imagine. It would just not have been possible. Uh, we needed you know, strong networks, both fixed and mobile, because you know there are many countries that do not have a strong fixed infrastructure that are relying on mobile. There are many countries where fiber isn't that strong and then they need to rely on copper infrastructure as well as uh, mobile. But yeah, it was unimaginable and, and it's still going to be a big year for 5G. Many experts, though, warn that we're going to see a second wave in the near future when the pandemic makes a, a resurgence. But at the same time, some behaviors we've adopted are expected to stay with us for quite some time. Well, what are some of those lessons that we've learned at the network level that will help those in the space prepare for that second wave? I think one is resilience. It's vital. Uh, this gives networks uh, the capacity to deal with unexpected challenges. And that means investing in network capacity upgrades, uh, continuing 5G rollouts, and the private and public sectors working together to speed up digitalization across industries. Another uh, key lesson that we've learned is that good dialogue is crucial right? between businesses, between businesses and governments, and between everyone and the public. So for instance, we're working with a number of governments to evaluate if we should bring forward, you know, fiber build-outs in many countries uh, that need it because that need is now clear. Uh, but also, you know, between everyone and the public, uh, we have to have this dialogue. So what are the pressure points uh, highlighted by the crisis? How have priorities changed now and, and for the future? Uh, you know, what more can we do to support our customers and help individuals and societies? Because no one has all the answers uh, or can solve these problems alone, but as a you know, multi-network society, you know, good dialogue makes it very important. And at Nokia, we've made, we made short-term adjustments so that we can be there for our customers and keep our long-term plans on track. Uh, it's amazing that when we went into this, we were not sure if, if, you know, we would see losses of productivity across the company, especially in R&D, where traditional wisdom is that, you know, teams have to work closely together in the same office, in the same setup, in the same labs. But our R&D is going ahead. We've not seen any productivity uh, impacts to the negative. In fact, some to the positive. Uh, we've not seen any roadmap delays. Some releases I would suggest are even ahead of schedule. Our global supply chains, uh, fortunately, were already uh, you know, diversified and resilient. So we know the crisis is far from over, but we have found a way of working during this new normal. And you know, we'll continue to adapt as the situation evolves. You mentioned the fourth industrial revolution. One of the things that the pandemic is amplifying is digital inequality around the world. We're often fond at Futurhythmic of quoting William Gibson, who once said that the future is here, it's just not evenly distributed. How do we go about solving that? Yeah, connectivity can bring us huge benefits. It's not just economic ones, uh, you're right, but also social and environmental gains. Um, you know, they improve 
connectivity improves quality of life significantly. Let's take examples. Uh, connectivity allows physicians to treat more patients more effectively, uh, often in their own homes. And clearly, there'll be a lot more work that will move from the hospital to outpatients and you know what we call ambulatory surgeries, et cetera. So connectivity makes it easier for small businesses to sell their products. It makes it easier to farm at peak efficiency with sensors telling even small-scale farmers exactly you know, when and where to water their crops. So there's so much that can be done with connectivity. But this requires that people have access to this notion of reliable and secure networks and the right skills to use the opportunities that connectivity brings. So, you know, 5G is a big part of that, uh, but so is 4G and other earlier generation, you know, networks. We have about 125 private wireless networks. 95% of them are 4G. A lot can be done with 4G already. So the full social, economic, and environmental benefits of connectivity require robust and reliable networks everywhere. But it's not just about the networks. You know, widespread, equitable connectivity requires cooperation from multiple players. This is almost a horizontal. You know, you, you want governments, regulators, industry players, NGOs, academia, unions, other decision-making bodies, uh, you know, different ministries working with each other. Because like I said, it's not vertical silos that we have to work in. We have to work in sort of, you know, in a horizontal way. And all these groups need to recognize the importance of getting people online safely, reliably, and, and confidently. Uh, we're not there in terms of still connecting the unconnected part of the world. And there are many solutions we, you know, we're discussing uh, as we speak, including more usage of satellite. But, you know, connectivity in, in, in many ways can become a powerful tool for education, entrepreneurship, and delivering public and community services. Well, then what role would government play in this? Government's role, it's, uh, it's, about, it's about ensuring that we look more long-term as opposed to short-term. So when you look at spectrum, you know, let's, let's try to give... Uh, spectrum at affordable cost to you know service providers because then you invest in 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 the consumers if you invest in the long term if you take a view that we want to maximize gains for for the country for the budget by charging a lot of spectrum up front i mean it's not going to be pro consumer it might seem pro consumer but it's 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 not uh pro consumer second um, is there a way to to start to uh, advance the use and the deployment of optical fiber, uh, you know, fiber to the most economical point, fiber to the home, etc. Because uh, clearly, take a lot of the European countries, uh, that is absolutely a requirement. But the problem is, you know, digging and trenching and, and so on. So how do we find economical ways to, to do that? Are there any subsidies that, that we can provide? Because these business cases can be challenged in the short term, but not challenged in the very long term. And then, you know, there's the idea of uh, making site availability and access simpler in many countries that's a bottleneck so a number of things that i think governments can do to work with industry uh, to you know get innovation uh, rolled out so as we leave covid 19 behind and move towards the fourth industrial revolution what kind of permanent change do you anticipate there have been so many pundits pontificating on the long-term impact of COVID-19 on society. What do you see that long-term impact being as we move towards Industry 4.0? It's not a time to slow down 5G, right? So now I hear that, you know, that there'll be some delays in spectrum auctions in some countries, uh, but COVID-19 has shown that the strategy should be the opposite, speed up rather than slow down, right? So if you were 
going to design a a global test where millions of people will be forced to stay at home, use video conferencing for work, uh, school, checking up on elderly relatives, uh, online shopping for groceries, essential items, virtual doctor's appointments. We've just been through that global test and the value and need for you know fourth industrial revolution, 5G uh, is clear. People have also seen the difference that network quality makes to their daily lives. Uh, and that goes for both fixed and uh, mobile networks. Our research has shown that those consumers who work remotely or want to work remotely in the future uh, will prioritize connectivity and will switch providers to obtain reliable uh, service for G or 5G. And, and data from South Korea showed an appetite for 5G that surprised even us. You know, what, 5 million subscribers in, in just around six months. And it's not just consumers. Uh, as I said, digitalization is speeding up. And even though companies can get a head start you know, with 4G, LTE, the full benefits of the fourth industrial revolution will only arrive with, with, with 5G. So if anything, the past few months have emphasized how important the deployment of 5G is. And I'm a big believer that the fourth industrial revolution, uh, 5G underpinning that, but also enabling you know, analytics. Uh, because what is 5G conceived for? 5G has been conceived for, for things to be connected. Think about consumer IoT and machines to be connected and of course all of us as, as human beings to be connected so it's the first time you have a technology that gets things to talk to each other as well as valuable assets to talk to each other but why do you want these valuable assets to talk to each other because you want the data from those assets to be able to predict failures or predict uh, occurrences before they actually happen and there are numerous examples of these and, and usually they are very mundane and very simple in terms of how you marry the technology with the industrial use case. So to me, uh, there's a huge productivity gain waiting to be had uh, for countries that that move into the first, uh, fourth industrial revolution first. Well, heavy industry is often seen as a laggard in the adoption of new technologies, but that doesn't seem to be the case for Industry 4.0. Um, the Port of Hamburg is doing some remarkable things with the technologies 5G enables. Uh, so is the mining industry. Absolutely. Uh, it's across its harbors, it's it's mines, it's it's uh, port of Hamburg, it's uh, port of LA, uh, it's factories, our own factory in Oulu in northern Finland, which is already a factory of the future, uh, and increasingly getting more and more connected, has provided us with huge uh, gains across a number of key performance indicators. You've said that the digitization of industry doesn't need to wait for 5G. How so? Well, because you can actually do a number of things with with 4G. Because what is 5G about? It, it provides you latency, it provides you massive amount of capacity, and it provides you reliability, right? So whether it's a factory or logistics hub, there are many use cases that actually do not need this ultra low latency that 5G provides. And so you can do a number of things with, with 4G. Right. So the factory of the future we've set up in Olu in northern Finland, it's it's based on 4G at the moment. And we are moving into 5G as, as, as things move forward. So a number of use cases can be driven by 4G. The common denominator is advanced connectivity and, and 4G provides that. Then there are some use cases such as cloud gaming or such as uh, you're going to have a digital twin of your factory plant in the cloud and you want to remotely manage things from there that need ultra low latency. And so 5G then comes in. So my advice is always start with 4G for your digitization needs and then move into 5G. 
Don't spend a lot of time doing proof of concepts. You know, get into the action, uh, trial the real thing. Uh, Wi-Fi won't cut it because Wi-Fi doesn't give you that reliability and security that you need in a factory where machines have to be untethered. Uh, and and this old notion of cables in in factories or, or in hubs, etc., won't cut it either. So you need you need uh, wireless, but you need you know, six, nine reliability over time. So essentially you can start with 4G and move to 5G just as service providers do, just as operators do. And so learn the business, learn the use case. And then there are a few use cases that absolutely will need 5G. And then for them, uh, deploy 5G, but, but start with 4G. You touched on quality of life outside of industry 4.0. The self-driving car, augmented reality, edge gaming, as you point out, seem like the big ways in which 5G will shine. How will 5G shine in the way people work in more quality of life, tangible ways? So for, for industry, it's it's very clear, right? Uh, it's all about savings underpinned in your business case, or it's about uh, getting more digital that gives you productivity advantage. For us as consumers, of course, we'll benefit from some of this, right? So if you have a connected hospital or, or you get remote uh, services or there's surgery that you physically are not going to be able to reach in an emergency situation and that needs to be done virtually, that's done through 5G. So, you know, through other uh, industrial applications, of course, we also benefit as consumers. But in terms of real consumer-led services, first of all, it's hard to predict what they might be. There could be plenty, you know, new application services that'll come just like we couldn't predict, you know, the sharing economy when 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 4G came along, we couldn't predict the app uh, economy. So that we can't predict everything. So there will be new services that will come off, uh, you know, the advanced connectivity we need to put in place. But what we're seeing from South Korea is that uh, there's uh, there's of course cloud gaming. There is uh, dual screens. Um, you can you can use dual screens. You do something on on one screen. You you watch golf on the other, and you're seeing VR. VR-based services. And then in the future, of course, augmented reality-based services when the form factors of uh, of these glasses will become simpler over time. So there are a few services that have been identified, but usually they're in the realm of either virtual entertainment, uh, virtual gaming, stadium solutions, et cetera, uh, related to VR, AR. And on the industrial side, uh, there'll be thousands of uh, applications, thousands of use cases. We, we just have to go and start partnering with key industrial players. They know the problems they want to solve, and then you bring the technology, and you you know you marry the technology with the problem case, and you get your use case. So it's not just about faster TikTok videos. No, <laughs> no, no, <laughs> far from it. <laughs> you mentioned new services. The ability to network slice and build private networks feels like a transformational technology for telecom. Suddenly anybody can be a network operator for either public consumption or for that private industry 4.0. Where do you see the greatest adoption of that? Network slicing is going to be fantastic. Of course, it needs to be done with, uh, with you know, a common orchestration, uh, zero touch automation. So you don't want to make it complex. You don't want... You, you don't want it to be complicated to the point that you have a lot of you do a lot of local systems integration. Uh, so the application of that will be think of it as just uh, multiple MBNO type slices, right? So you have your SLAs with uh, different enterprises. So it'll be used in driverless cars. It'll be used in what we talked about already, cloud gaming. It'll be used in multiple enterprises. So I can come up with, I'm an operator, I have a thousand slices and I'll, I'll just choose multiple enterprises. I'll strike SLAs 
but it's all of the examples we talked about, right? It's factories, it's it's logistics hubs, it's cloud gaming, it's uh, in fact even driverless cars. You know, a, a car might need three slices, for instance, to be uh, autonomously driving. It's just it's all the industries. I can't think of an industry which would not benefit from a network slice. The key is how do you provide that slice in as autonomous a fashion as possible, uh, so that SLAs can be struck and they're easy and they're done in an automated way and secure too. So it's across the network, it's secure, and you want to be able to guarantee that because if you're an enterprise, you probably ask for those guarantees. You mentioned that as we continue to deal with the quarantine life around the world, some restrictions are easing in some parts of the world, others they're they're going back down into lockdown mode. But you say that R&D is going ahead. You haven't seen any productivity impacts uh, to the negative at Nokia. Uh, no roadmap delays and some releases may even be ahead of schedule. Tell me, though, about the chief executive officer. How are you managing this massive company yourself under this environment? Yeah. My number one priority throughout this crisis has been keeping staff, customers, and our partners safe while keeping connectivity on the road. And that's been based on listening. Listen to your customers about what they need. Listen to your employees about how we can adapt and times of crisis require clear thinking and calm decision-making, not just from the CEO, but across the company. Uh, and it requires a lot of communication and adapting to you know, different ways of doing things. And we were fortunate to always have been a, I call it a remotely integrated company. So we were comfortable with remote operations because that's how the company's been set up culturally over many years. And so that helped us as we had to adapt to this uh, change. And so our customers told us about problems and concerns in accessing sites, for instance. And so we found new ways for our essential workers to access sites as safely as, as possible. And we have listened to our employees. Uh, they told us that they were proud of their role in supporting critical connectivity. Our mission is you know, to create the technology to connect the world. And our people have not been prouder of the situation that we're in and helping the world keep connectivity alive. But they also wanted to support the people working on the front line in the fight against COVID-19. So we set up a global donations fund of you know, half a million euros. Employees could nominate the community groups near them to receive grants of up to 10,000 euros. We've distributed about 90% of it so far uh, to causes ranging from uh, personal protective equipment in Bangladesh to meals on wheels in Ireland. Uh, I'm really very proud of my team. Uh, it's responded uh, very well, and, and I'm also very proud of how resilient uh, they've shown themselves to be. Uh, it's in times of challenge that our true character is shown, and I couldn't have asked for a better team than the one we had at Nokia. It's been tough for everyone. None of us has ever experienced anything like this before, professionally or personally. And, you know, we've been learning as we uh, go along. We've had to make adjustments to our daily lives. Right? Uh, people are trying to balance work with childcare. Uh, they may not have a dedicated workspace or any outdoor space where they live. We're all concerned about the safety and well-being of our friends and family. I'm fully conscious of all these things when I ask my team to do something or go that extra mile. And believe me, they have. And I think the main reason for that is that we all know we're doing something of great value. So not just for our business, but for the societies and communities around us. So, yeah, we've adapted with, uh, you know, analytics, different tools, for instance, you know, we, we manage 
uh, over a billion subscribers from our remote uh, operations and our people have had to do this not from global delivery centers but actually to do it even from from homes but then you have to use your secure facilities analytics and they've done that so every step of the way when this thing really accelerated you know back in um, you know q1 uh, our people have been innovative and come up with new ideas whether it's r&d whether it's services operations whether it's maintenance whether it's just how to get along with each other uh, and you know they've done a remarkable job and if i had to ask you to look back 10 years from now what do you think the biggest indelible mark covid-19 will have had on society there are two major things happening for businesses at the moment that will likely have long term implications you know i think first you have workplaces being redesigned to allow for more social distancing second you have employers finding new ways to keep their employees working effectively remotely so the net result uh, is fewer people coming together in one place and so how and where we work is changing and and i think some of those changes will be permanent this notion of work from anywhere will be permanent this notion of the chief executive becoming the chief empathy officer is going to become even more important this crisis has increased the need to accelerate the technologies at the heart of the fourth industrial revolution as we already talked about automation ai iot driverless food trucks drone deliveries ai machine learning to process medical test results uh, help scientists searching for a vaccine i mean companies working together competitors working together to search for a vaccine and all of these have taken on a new urgency so the real question is how do we prevent a once in a century global pandemic uh, from leading to a once in a century global recession it is going to take something transformative to prevent it and it could well be this fourth industrial revolution uh, and, and this revolution will be a local revolution because it will drive localization of data localization of services expertise so it has the potential to re-empower local communities and reinvigorate areas that have suffered over recent decades because the past industrial revolutions have provided a lot of productivity boost and you know other benefits but then we've also left a number of people behind right so this particular one has the potential to you know bring that power back to local communities what we need to sort of look back and then predict in the future is we we need to make it happen faster because Yeah, better collaboration and coalition building is going to be important. Uh, governments and businesses must think internationally in order to empower locally. We need international collaboration between governments to address privacy concerns, security concerns. It is not an option. It's something that we have to start thinking more and more deeply about. Uh, we need national collaboration between governments and businesses and investment into next generation networks and research because only then can we create an environment that is conducive to innovation and entrepreneurship so that we are becoming more and more long-term focused as opposed to being you know short-term driven see the future listen to what's next read about world's changing ideas all by visiting futurerhythmic.com the futurerhythmic podcast with michael hainsworth is a nokia original series